Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. For those of you familiar with the Lord's Supper, celebrating the Eucharist, sharing in the Lord's table, engaging in Holy Communion, you may wonder why we need to talk about the communion service. It is because, on one hand, our familiarity with it may not have moved us all the way to contempt, but sometimes familiarity may cause some sleepiness, some lethargy, some simple closing our eyes to fresh understandings so that we offhandedly respond to the experience with, oh yeah, I know, I know, yeah, I know, when in actuality, it is an experience which with with thought and prayer and enlarged understandings can be both ancient and fresh, historic and current, where new angles can help us see and experience it as if for the first time. In many, if not most, Christian traditions, the focus is almost exclusively on what we call the table of the Lord. And we'll talk about the table, the bread and the wine, but true to the practice in the Seventh-day Adventist denomination of Christendom, let's first focus on what preceded the table and the transition of Passover to the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. What happened in that upper room? The the teaching by demonstration using the bread and wine is echoed in Jesus' prayer in John 17. In verse 20, John records Jesus' words, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. It was a prayer that night, two millenniums ago, and looking at Christ's body, the church today, globally, it must be a prayer he continues to pray. That night, as they entered the upper room, I imagine the same old contentions, rivalries, jealousies for the, for the highest and best positions in Christ's coming new kingdom were still on their minds. For several years, they've been following Jesus. They've cashed in their, their lives and gone all in with Jesus. They assumed themselves to have made a wise investment, and they're looking for the payoff. In fact, part Part of the same old song was the clarity that each individual disciple saw themselves as deserving the first place, and their compatriots, the other disciples, as deserving some lesser post. There was no spirit of unselfishness that filled the air. Each was out to have the first place, the best seat, to be served. In fact, the only unity was in their shared self-interest. Jesus knew what was coming. His suffering and humiliation and death, one last time he took the opportunity to act out in a very tangible illustration the very essence of his kingdom. He he sought to cement what it means to, to do kingdom work and to live free of the spiraling down the drain of self serving and self focused and selfish life. 
In that culture, the most humble of services offered by a low-level humble servant would be the washing of the feet of guests gathered for a meal. No one had arranged for a servant. There grew in the in that moment, an awkward silence in that upper room as, as each on, on around the table recognized the oops. No one had arranged for a servant to be there. As the, as the reality sort of dawned on each one of them, so did the sad determination of each that they would never take that role. No way. that They would not give service to another and voluntarily place themselves beneath one or all of the others. The awkward silence is getting more and more uncomfortable. And just before the silence is broken by an argument over who dropped the ball, who to blame, Jesus got up from the table, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. The contrast between his heart and theirs was painted for them in this living mural. He he had taught it. He had invited a little child to stand in the midst of them and said, except you become like this little child. He had said that and lived it, the the first shall be last and the last shall be first. He couldn't have used clearer words. Whoever wishes to be great must be the servant of all. And he had declared that he came. He came like no other leader, no other CEO, no other manager, no other boss, because he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Make the leap from then to now. Remember the words of Jesus' prayer before they left that upper room. Jesus was clear that he had been sent by the Father into the world to serve it, to serve its people, to lay down his life as a ransom for many. And in John 17, verse 18, Jesus prays these words, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Talking about the disciples and then eventually about you and me. Here is where the body of Christ in a local congregation and in the universal body of Christ comprised of all of his followers, here is one of the opportunities for absolute unity. Regardless of your interpretation of truth differently from another fellow Christian, no matter your understanding of prophecy or end-time events or what happens to a person when they die or how the millennium works or, or the proper understanding of the three angels' messages, before and above and more, more centrist to Jesus' intention for his church and where there can be unity in place of so much arguing is he calls us to follow him on the path of serving rather than being served. To think of others as as better than ourselves. To resist thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. To recognize the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, that the highest, the very highest place in his kingdom is to be a servant. This is what he taught in his personal demonstration just hours before he would serve the entire universe by dying on the cross. This this is why when we celebrate the Lord's table in our denomination, we normally precede it by serving each other in the washing of feet. We must be careful to, to not worship the tradition of washing of feet. That service is just an illustrative practice to remind us of our calling in life 24-7 to be servants, and servants do one thing, they serve. 
And when we unite in serving people, we are, we are fulfilling answering Jesus' prayer that we are one with him, the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we are one with every other of his children who serve. Because God is love, and to love is to serve. That's how we bring meaning to our testimony of love. We serve. When it comes to sharing the bread and the wine at the table of Paul's words to the Corinthians have scared too many people from participation. The fear of eating the bread or drinking the cup in an unworthy manner. What is Paul talking about? Because it is a, it's a pretty stern warning that he gives in 1 Corinthians 11. I believe what Paul is talking about is coming to the table to be served rather than to serve. If we look at the context and we read the the whole chapter there in 1 Corinthians 11, we find the abuse that was taking place. In verse 17, he writes, For your meetings do more harm than good. The first problem he identifies is that when you come together, there are divisions among you. What was happening in their communion service, their agape feast, is that those with resources would bring their food, nice picnic baskets full, and eat a lavish meal without regard for anyone else. They would go ahead and stuff themselves while other believers were going hungry right beside them. More picnic than potluck. Instead of a shared cup, some would drink all the way to drunkenness, Paul said. Listen carefully, what makes a person unworthy in their participation is not recognize what the bread and wine represent and to participate without consideration of serving others. It's hard to imagine any group more unworthy than the crowd around the table at the first Lord's Supper. James and John were there, and they were seekers of the two best seats, the two best assignments in the coming kingdom. Peter had a seat at that table. Talk about unworthy. In just hours, he will three times deny that he even knows Jesus. All the disciples around that table will abandon Jesus and run. And who could have a more unworthy status than Judas, who will leave the meal and betray Jesus to his enemies? The Lord's table, the communion service, is something shared by followers of Jesus everywhere on the planet. Why? Because it centers us, it, it reminds us, it brings us to our, our to our recollection the reality of where our salvation lies, not in our distinct understanding of Scripture or prophecy, not in our conforming to all the rules which in whatever branch of Christianity which one may adhere, not in anything we do, but simply in what He has done. Today in our culture, locally and globally. There are plenty of issues that divide. We live in a very divided world. We are pulled, recruited to be loyal to a certain camp and, and to find unity there. Politics and religion and race seem to top the list in polarizing and creating division and disunity. Now, more than ever, as followers of Jesus, we must seek common ground. Where can we find unity with people so different from us? I'm awed by the church. It is the one place in our society, in the current culture, where we connect with people who are so very different from us. Think of, of your denomination, your, your tribe, your brand of Christian faith, and, and even within that narrow slice of the pie of Christianity, there are warring factions, groups who interpret Scripture very differently. Just the very oppositional stance regarding whether Scripture affirms or denies. 
one group says, if, if Scripture doesn't condemn something, then it's okay. And another group says, unless Scripture affirms something, it's not okay. It's wrong. Some are willing to look at just one verse and authoritatively declare, the Bible says. Well, others can't, argue, uh, can't agree with a, a single verse, but evidence must, must only see the, that verse in relationship to the, what the Bible as a whole says. Where can there be unity? How can we imagine Jesus getting his prayer answered that we all be one? Put almost any two followers of Jesus in the same room, have them study some Bible passages, and invariably there will be disagreement on what they mean. Does this disagreement mean disunity? And are there some understandings where there can be amazing unity as well? I believe there are. Scripture clearly teaches them. I believe that while followers of Jesus may hold a bunch of other things they believe are important and true, and which might actually be both important and true, the larger the circle of what we insist as both being important and true, the harder unity becomes. Maybe we like longer lists of what's important and true about worrying about getting everyone to understand how important and true those things are, because it's a great diversion, a fun distraction to the centrist call of Christ to fulfill that to which he calls us. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And in his prayer in John 17, 18, as you sent me into the world, I sent them into the world to love and to serve. There is, even in our divisive world, a place where all followers of Christ can gather in unity. Jesus is the Savior. He calls us to love, that is, to serve. There is a glorious future. This we celebrate as we come to the table of the Lord. Jesus took the bread. He he gave thanks. He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He is the Savior. Before the meal, after washing their feet, he said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you, to serve, to love, with skin on it, not just with words. And with a cup, he said, For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. It was still there in the upper room that Jesus said these comforting words, Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. There is a glorious future. Maybe all of the other stuff is of greater and lesser importance at different times. But Jesus' prayer for unity, for oneness, is a call to humility about our beliefs. Share unity, oneness with him and the Father is a call worthy of following. And in this shared table, there is unity that Jesus is the Savior. He calls us to love, and there is a glorious future. This service makes me wish for us to be physically present with one another, to serve and to share in the table to practice open communion that all are welcome to the table of the Lord. So so separated physically, we join together to share the Lord's table in the unity of Jesus our Savior, who has called us to love and serve, who's preparing for us a glorious future with him. Welcome. 
the table of the Lord. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians. All focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.